When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane. So shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Downtown, Peckle Park, a new beginning. Let's go. Started back rocking the brown. Rockin the brown. Ever since we've been knocking them down. Knockin them down. Baby said she wanna go to the game. To the game. Taught her how to say Padre gang. Started back rocking the brown. Rockin the brown. Ever since we've been knocking them down. Knockin them down. Mitchell and Ness with the old school name. All of the homies holler Padre gang. Yeah, that. And good day, everybody. Welcome to episode 180 of the Talking Friars podcast and YouTube show. I'm your host, Ben Fadden. Just came to you after last night's game uh, where the Padres smacked the Mets. And we're back here with another episode on an off day. Padres play the uh, Rockies starting up this weekend. And we got a special guest, Darnay Tripp of NBC7, to join the show, talk a little Padres. Thank you so much for joining the show. Yeah, thanks for having me. Excited to be with you. All right. So first off, we'll get into Tatis and Castillo and Baez and Kim, Grisham, all that stuff. Uh, but first off, just overall about this team right now, obviously they were they took two series against really good teams, the Brewers and the Mets. Uh, but are you surprised at all with where the Padres stand right now? Uh, not just in the standings, but the team overall being without Fernando and having a lot of you know stretches of where the offense hasn't been firing in all cylinders, to say the least. Are you kind of surprised with where the team's at? Firing all cylinders, you're kind of uh, using Jace Tingler verbiage there. Yeah. And he was waiting for that all year and it and never came around. And it we've seen it in, in stretches. And I think um, in terms of like small picture, what they've done the last week, I don't know if anybody expected them to, obviously the first game against Milwaukee was a bummer, but then to win three straight, on the road against a first place team and then started the series in, in 
not similar fashion to in terms of the way the games played out, but with a loss against the Mets, that was kind of discouraging, just like that first one against the Brewers. And then they come back and outscore them 20 to two over two games. And I don't think realistically anybody expected them to bounce back the way they did from that series against St. Louis and that opener against Milwaukee. And it's just kind of another example of how different this team is and what we saw last year, where um, I think losses like the ones they experienced against the Mets, against the Brewers, the series against the Cardinals, like there would be a hangover effect. And this team has been really, really good at bouncing back. They went, you know, over a month without um, losing back-to-back games um, before that stretch against the Cardinals. And so that's been a real feather in the cap. And I think you got to give a lot of credit to Bob Melvin. Yeah, I don't I don't know. I don't think I expect them to be at this place. I think once Fernando was healthy, you figure they'd have a chance to kind of compete at this level. But to do so without him, with some of the highs and lows offensively and just the way they've had to kind of shuffle the the roster and the lineup just to fill some of those spots in the outfield and, and to kind of make do an infield without Tatis has been really, really impressive. And of course, a lot of it has to do with the starting pitching and, you know, that that's they've given them given them an opportunity to win day in and day out. They haven't always taken advantage of those, but um, this team as a whole has been been really good, really tough, really resilient and certainly ahead of where I expected them to be at this point in the season. Mm. When you're uh, in the dugout or talking to guys uh, around the team, what, what have you gotten from them in terms of the impact that Bob Melvin has had uh, early on this season for the Padres? Yeah, I think uh, a word you hear a lot is confidence. And, you know, Hosmer, when he was when he had it going early in the season, he talked about how Bob gives him a lot of confidence. And I think with the pitching staff, that was something frustrating uh, last season and how there seemed to be such a short hook. And whenever you kind of reached a point with a pitcher in, in terms of where he was in his start, second time through, what have you. Obviously, they didn't have the DH at that point, so you ran into some of those issues where you might need to pinch hit for a guy if all of a sudden there's a runner in scoring position with a couple outs. We saw that happen time and time again, and, and Jace Tingler seemed to err on the side of um, going to his bullpen early rather than giving those guys a chance to kind of work through some things. And from the very beginning, I – you know, from my standpoint, I think one of the, the most obvious differences is just in the way that Bob Melvin has managed the staff and given his starting pitchers that leash to go deep. Even a guy like Mackenzie Gore and, and Mike Clevenger, when he came in, giving him a chance to finish five innings. You know, it didn't always work out, but for the most part, it has. And now with these guys getting, you know, five, five, six day rest or whatever, you know, six man rotation, they have a little bit more rest there. They're a little bit more fresh. And so why not put a little bit more on those guys? And and they obviously like it. Those guys have a lot of pride and and want to contribute as, as best they can. And um, so I think it's just kind of the belief that guys have in Bob Melvin and then just like the steadiness. And for us, I think it's easy to get carried away and get frustrated and like what's wrong with this team when they go through a stretch where they're not hitting or they're not driving in runs. And Melvin is just very even keel. And he understands it's early in the season. And, and I think one of the things I'm, I'm interested in learning as the season goes on and as we get more opportunities to, to talk to some of these guys is like what the messaging is and, and what's being said in those moments. Um, because there just never seems to be any panic. And when things are going poorly, they, they've found a way to bounce back as they have in the last week. Um, so I think it's just kind of the steadiness and the belief that he, he, um, 
he gives to his guys that's allowed them to just kind of shake off some of these rough patches and, and play pretty well for the most part of the season. Yeah, and they've been able to do this without Fernando Tatis Jr. And obviously, we thought that the bone scan was going to happen this week, and Bob Melvin said now it's going to happen on Monday. What what have you heard? What's the latest there? And I just don't really understand why they're pushing that back. You know, I've heard the radiation thing, and there's only a limited amount of radiation he can take and all that, but it's kind of just confusing. Like, it was supposed to happen, I thought, right when they got back from the Milwaukee road trip, Mm -hmm. and then it didn't happen. Didn't happen. It's not going to happen the rest of this weekend, and then it's going to happen on Monday. That just feels a little weird to me. Yeah, I um I haven't been able to be around um the team this week. Um so all I've heard is kind of what's been reported by uh the Casavels and and ACs of the world. Yep. Uh and yeah, I heard what Melvin said about kind of the radiation and 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 limiting that. It's hard, you know, we're not privy to these conversations with the doctors and and maybe they just felt that the likelihood of it of it healing to the degree that they needed to this week wasn't great and and maybe it'd be best just to kind of hold off and, until that point. I think, you know, I we're all excited on about getting him healthy as as early as possible and want to get that done and, and see him back on the field. Um my guess is once he's cleared, I would think that um there wouldn't be too much lag time just in terms of him at least getting on a rehab assignment and starting to swing and, and maybe he starts off just kind of DHing and and as he kind of gets his conditioning up, he's he's been doing some work on the field, so that's encouraging to see. Um, but we'll wait and see what what next week holds. You know, now we're at this point where we're you know through the first third of June, where you start to wonder if it's going to be July before you see him in a Padres uniform, and that could certainly be the case. The good news is the team has done just fine without him, and um, you know I. Certainly with a situation like this, anything pertaining to Fernando Tatis Jr. given his injury history, you just want to kind of take your time and, and give it due diligence. And they've done that. You've seen the way they've handled guys in their pitching staff. And and now Will Myers, they, they want to be thoughtful about it and not, not rush anybody. And Tatis is the last person you'd want to rush. So not knowing kind of the ins and outs of, of the conversations with the doctors and, and the guys that kind of have the the, the insight and, and all that, it's hard to say. but. Um, I do think, you know, if it's early next week, he has the scan, it goes well. Um, I would think things could progress pretty quickly from them from from there. So I, I'm not overly concerned about it. We're, we're not at the three month mark just yet. Not to say that he'll be with the Padres um, three months out from when the surgery was announced. But um, I, I do think I'm just not at a place where I'm too concerned about it just yet. Now, if if next week rolls around and the scan gets pushed back again, or if it comes up negative, um, then certainly I could I could see some concern. But the team's playing well without him. It's good to see him around the team. It's good to see him mm-hmm. on the field beforehand. I, I would think somebody like Fernando, we, we've seen what he's done. You know, when he came off COVID, he was stuck in the house, right? And yeah. he was just like hanging out, watching baseball, not even able to swing. And he came back and what homered and did whatever he did that first game back. I mean, he's got an incredible ability to not miss a beat. And so I figure we'll see that. And it it leads me to believe whenever he is 
healthy enough to swing a bat, it won't take too long before he's on a rehab assignment and then eventually with the Padres. Yeah, and you go to that point about him coming back and he's pretty much has always played well when he returns. Feels like every time when he comes back, he hits a home run. I think it was last year. I forget. Maybe it was his first subluxation or something. And I think he homered off of Walker Bueller. I think I want to say it's just Fernando's different. So yeah, I definitely agree with your point about not really being worried right now. It's just it just feels weird that they're they pushed it back. It seemed like a full week. Um, but I mean. Again, I'm worried too much. Uh, as for the timetable for like Jose Castillo, Michelle Baez, Drew Pomerantz, Moen obviously just came back and pitched really well. Uh, what was that Tuesday night? To, uh, six up, six down. That, that was really great to see. And obviously his comeback. Gore's had a big comeback. But getting back to Baez, Castillo, and Pomerantz, have you had any um, insight? Do you have any insight into their returns and – what they're really doing. I know Baez, I think he got brought up to AAA uh, this week. What do you, what have you heard? Yeah. Um, I, I mean, not, not too much uh, specific to those guys, you know, other than what you read from the, the mad friars of the world and that sort mm-hmm. of thing. Folks that do such a good job of, of covering um, the team at the minor league level. Um, I'm trying to, was Baez to, uh, I don't remember if he was to uh, San Antonio or um, it might have been to, it might have been to San Antonio. I thought he was already there. Morahone yeah. was in double A and then he got brought up to the big league level. Didn't even go to triple A. Yeah, I think it's Jose I mean, Castillo's in triple A. I know that. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, the great thing is that. Other than Taylor Rogers, and Taylor Rogers now had a couple of rough patches. Um, good to see him get a couple opportunities since that Thursday loss to the Brewers, um, and he's done just fine. But it's that middle portion of the bullpen where they really needed some help, and Castillo is certainly a name that's come up. And then just knowing that Morahone and Baez would have an opportunity at some point. Morahone doing what he did um, his first time back, 18 pitches, two perfect innings was really, really encouraging. And, and that's the guy that was a source of a lot of excitement and you know, was able to kind of fill one of those spots in the rotation early last season before going down, um, which is great. And so having having kind of some of those reinforcements coming, uh, Pomeranz, um, you know, hopefully at some point um, in the not too distant future, you figured it was kind of similar to Tatis around this time where he would he would be available. Um, that's another huge addition and a guy that's proven. You know, whereas Baez and Morhone obviously lighter in, in big league experience. And so I think, um, you know, not not knowing too many of the specifics, just in terms of the timeline and where they're at right now, just big picture, knowing what they're capable of and, and knowing kind of some of the struggles of the bullpen, um, you know, to instead of having to make deals to kind of strengthen what has been kind of really the one, obviously the, the bats have kind of come and gone, but one of the notable weaknesses of the team, um, you know, if you're able to, to kind of fill those needs before the deadline without having to make that kind of one of the points of emphasis by the time late July rolls around, I think is, is great. It's really encouraging what we saw from Morahone, and, um, you know, hopefully we get to see some of those guys before too long and, and, um, you know, Suarez get healthy again and, and, you know, Padres have generally had 
certainly the closer spot and then a decent enough bullpen. And, um, you know, if, 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 if they can get through, you know, the, the sevenths and the eighths, you know, without too many issues, like we've seen creep up at, at points, um, then, then you're strengthening a, a kind of a soft spot in this team and, and making the Padres even more dangerous. Yeah. And they, and you mentioned, uh, getting those reinforcements back before the deadline that definitely makes AJ's job easier. I don't know how much easier just because we know that AJ is going to try to improve every area of the roster. Um, but I think it could help him sleep a little better at night, you know, in July. If guys are coming back, Morahone's still pitching well, um, Snell maybe turns it around. It would just be life a lot easier. You could go out and focus, you know, on outfield, power hitting outfielders or wherever he wants to focus. Um, now getting to Hassan Kim, I feel like a lot of the attention uh, in terms of offensive struggles, I don't know about you, but I feel like it's been Trent Grisham. I feel like uh, a little bit with Nola. I like what I've seen out of, out of Mazzara. But with Kim, I was looking this up the other day. He hit 271 in the first month of the season, hit 196 in May, and entering uh, Tuesday's game, he was hitting 120 with a 150 on-base percentage over those last seven days, again, entering Tuesday. So does this trend maybe try to think that or try to make Andres bring Fernando back earlier, not in terms of rushing him back, but like him playing less rehab games than maybe they would ideally want him to play? I would think, I, I would, I would not think that Kim's performance would have any just because Fernando's too valuable. So mm -hmm. I I don't think you make any decisions based on that. Um, you know, that could potentially impact Fernando. I think Fernando's timeline will be Fernando's timeline, regardless. And again, uh, especially coming off the last week that this team has had, where um now I think it's five of their last six games, they've scored five or more runs, something they didn't do for 10 straight. And so right. they're they're trending in the right direction all of a sudden. Um, and that's, yeah, like you said, without Hassan Kim providing a whole lot for you. I mean, Trent Grisham has, has done it in moments. It's good to see Jake Cronenworth come around. Jerkson Profar has been a godsend. Um, I think Bob Melvin actually used that exact word uh, to describe Jerkson Profar in that leadoff spot. So I Kim, you know, you hope that this is just kind of a rough patch for Hassan Kim. There was some excitement given the way that he started when his OPS was kind of briefly in like the low 800s and, mm -hmm. and people got really excited and, you know, he's, he's hitting for slug all fastball is something that, you know, that was the big question kind of going in. It's like, could he catch up to major league speed? And he's proven that he's been able to do that. Um, but doing it at a consistent level and, you know, it, it's not just hitting, hitting the fastball. It's hitting just the stuff that major league pitchers can offer you. If it's off speed, if it's breaking different sliders, you know, there's um, different types of breaking balls. I think that's kind of been part of the challenge for him as, as well. And, um, just looking at some of his numbers that kind of bears it out. And so, um, yeah, that's look, I, I, I don't think you, you went into the season, you know, thinking that Fernando would, would be, or that Hassan Kim would be kind of an everyday answer at, at one of those spots. He's hopefully a valuable bench piece, especially in terms of what he can do for you defensively playing three out of the four infield spots. And then, um, 
just based on need, based on giving guys rest, based on matchups or what have you, he can step in and hopefully give you a good at bat. And so, um, yeah, hopefully this is this is just a, a stretch for him uh, because again, he did show some some promise early in the season. Um, but the good thing is, of late, they've kind of been able to you know get some things done with without too many contributions from him. And I think we're all pulling for Hassan Kim. We're all excited about that acquisition and excited to see him kind of come around and, and make some things happen. And and I'm sure he'll kind of get into a groove again. But but it's an adjustment and it continues for him. Um but the good news is one of the most talented players in all the baseball is coming. At some point we figure the next few weeks or a month. Um and so I don't think we'll be too too concerned with Hassan Kim's performance at that point. Yeah, hopefully not. How about Trent Grisham? He's he's been up and down. Uh, obviously, he had that walk off homer against Pittsburgh the other weekend. Um, well, do you think that the Padres have thought about or would seriously consider having Jose Azokar become that starting center fielder if it's for a week, two weeks? Uh, because Grisham, he's just there's times where it just feels like he can't even catch up to the fastball, you know? Um, I, I know that he can. It's just a matter of if he can do it consistently. And with Jose Azokar from the at-bats that I've seen from him, I like what I'm seeing. I, I like the at-bats he's had. Grisham, yeah, he's won a, he won a glove in a two-month season. I think Azokar, he's pretty good defensively, too, in center field. So I think right now it comes down to who is going to give that better at bat. And I argued a couple weeks ago, granted it was before Grisham got hot, that Pittsburgh series, that Azokar should be getting more playing time. I don't know if that changed right now based on how Grisham's been playing a little bit better. Um, but what are your thoughts on the Grisham-Azokar dynamic playing time? Yeah, I think, I mean, I, I, I don't think you're wrong to argue for Jose Azokar. And it was funny, uh, there was the report that C.J. Abrams was getting work in center field a couple Sundays ago, and it was the Sunday that Trent Grisham then hit the walk-off homer. I was like, well, that's yeah. well-timed by Grish, because I think first thing pops into mind is, okay, there's your center fielder right there. Um, Except they haven't, I mean, sorry to cut you off, but Paso hasn't been playing C.J. One of my main gripes with El Paso, or the, it's not El Paso, it's the Padres. Um, C.J.'s played like one game in center field. I was talking to Tim Haggerty, uh, who's the broadcaster for Paso, and he was saying that, yeah, they're playing in middle infield days, and I don't really understand that because obviously he's not going to be the shortstop when Fernando's healthy. So give him this outfield time where still developing offensively with the bat. Let him go play the outfield then. I don't know why they're not doing that, but yeah, and that's a, that's a good point. Uh, thinking long term, I mean, there is the potential, depending on what happens with Eric Hosmer, and whether or not they can trade him. Regardless, you know, chances are, after a couple more seasons, he won't be part of the equation for the Padres. You would you would yeah. think. Um, at that point, hopefully, C.J. Abrams is kind of um getting comfortable as a major leaguer and and able to contribute a little bit more offensively i mean defensively he was he was great uh and then you have the potential to shift jay cronenworth cj abrams at second and then the left side of the infield is what it is and so you know i i don't know if it's just kind of getting getting him comfortable i mean you even saw it with jerks and profar i mean uh 
there was so much talk last couple seasons about his versatility, right? And what that could do for the Padres. We saw him all over the infield. We saw him at center field. And Bob Melvin, one of the statements he made about Profar earlier this season is how they wanted to just keep him at left field so there's less for him to think about, let him get comfortable there. And, and clearly it's worked out, right? So I don't know how much of that kind of permeates the system as a whole with a guy like C.J. Abrams, who, um, you know, his, his have, I, it's been a week or two since I looked at his numbers. I think I did last week when um, we were all trying to figure out kind of what the move was going to be in the outfield. And with Cano um, getting released, like what what the options would be, you know, Abrams hit it, hit the ball fine, you know, um, but. Um, maybe not to the level that he had at, at other stages in his minor league career. And granted, he's he's playing triple A ball, so now it's a different level of competition. So um I maybe it's just allowing him to kind of get comfortable in one spot, not putting too much on him when he hasn't played a ton of minor league games. Um, but going back to Azokar and Grisham, I think there's every reason to make the argument for Azokar. Now, again, Grish has come up in a couple big spots. And this is a team that's lack slug and Grish does, he's not going to hit a ton of powers, but um, he'll put a charge in one every so often as we've seen. And he did it in the 2020 season, but you've just seen his barrel hard hit numbers go down dramatically, even from 2020 to last year. And so uh, that, that's been frustrating. I, I was, I was looking a little bit today. Uh, it looks like he's seen a bit more off speed and it's, it's been a struggle for him. You know, he's, he's hit, Fastball a bit better, um, but just not as consistently. Just a lot of weak contact from him, um, from a guy that, you know, if if he finds a gap in the outfield, you know, there's there's two bases easy. Um, mm-hmm. And and he's shown the potential to to hit for some power, and, and this team has sorely needed that. Um, so it's been frustrating, and, and I think one of the kind of silver linings has been the emergence of, Jose Azokar, who we didn't know a whole lot about going into this season. And we've seen he's more than adequate defensively and hits for average, gets on base. Um, he's going to give you some good at-bats. Had the walk-off a couple weeks ago, so he's come up in some big spots. And before the walk-off, he got a hit off Devin Williams. Um, you know, one of the kind of more fearsome late-game reliever types just with his stuff. And so um, he's done some good things for you. And And so I, you know... If if you want to talk about kind of what's an ideal day in and day out lineup, and you tell me Jose Zocar is playing at center field, I you know I'd have a tough time putting up a whole you know much of an argument. Yeah. All right. Let's get to uh, Blake Snell. Obviously, on Monday night, that was a pain to watch in the first inning. Um, I did a breakdown on it on this YouTube channel and pitch by pitch, and of it <laughs> was fouls up and outside, breaking balls in the dirt, just could not consistently find the zone. There was one at bat to Pete Alonzo where he got the swing and miss on a breaking ball. Then he went back right to that same pitch and Alonzo didn't swing at it and it was a ball. And that was just the theme, like the, the Mets had to it. Um, now getting to my question is, would the Padres, or do you think the Padres should consider moves and trading Blake Snell uh, if they, that, they could outfield power bat back i my personal opinion is i would wait i think bring his value a little bit more up than what it is right now and then also because you don't know if you're going to extend musgrove obviously you hope that you can 
if you don't, then you're going into this offseason with a rotation of Gore, Darvish, and Snell, right? That's I'd rather have you know uh, and you know have that assured Scroves to be here, and then it's okay. Well, we can still fill that spot ever in the rotation if it's not going to be here. Also, with the outfield thing, Nomar Mazara, I like without a Mazara offensively. Um, I think that they should get him day at bats. I don't care if he's a like he hit left minors. I know the minors is different, but give him the at bat. You don't know if he's going to succeed or not unless you give him the at bats against left. There went in a lot of different directions, but would you do a trade for Blake Snell right now? I guess short answer, no. I've gone back and forth a little bit on this. Uh, you know, we did an episode of On Fire a couple weeks ago where we toyed around with the idea of of packaging him for some outfield help. Um, and then Mike Clevenger had this tricep strain. Mm. And then you're immediately like, nope, that was a bad idea. Never trade. I don't think it was an injury, but yeah, yeah. Um, so unfortunately, he, he, you know, as Melvin suggested, came back from that on schedule and, and you know, should yeah. be fine. Um, again, I think my short answer on this is no, I think, especially given what we've seen, um, from the lineup, the, the potential is there. The fact that you are adding Fernando Tatis Jr. And, you know, I don't know if it will necessarily require a Blake Snell to get a serviceable offensive corner outfielder. Now, are you going to get somebody that hits 30, 40 home runs, home runs? Eh, probably not. Um, but I just think what we've seen from this team and the struggles in terms of depth of rotation late in the season, the fact that guys can always go down, um, it just makes me really hesitant to pull the trigger on a move like that. And my thing with Snell is, like, we we also can't act like last August didn't happen. Yeah. And, like, he's he's the struggles that he's going through now, I mean – almost word for word sound like what we were talking about last season stuff is good didn't locate got behind or you know didn't put guys away uh you know big pitch count and early innings all that stuff it seems to be a mental thing what we've also seen is when Blake Snell snaps out of that he is nasty game in and game out and I get everybody's frustration like a Cy Young winner an established big leaguer, uh, a guy that, again, has filthy stuff. Like, what's the deal? Like, I I don't necessarily understand it, um, you know, why he wasn't necessarily ready to start the season. And and um, he just, there seems to be a block there. But I also remember us all going nuts in August when he was dealing and just mowing teams down. And I fully expect that Blake Snell to pop up. Again, it's frustrating that it takes some time and, and it hasn't happened to this degree at a consistent, consistent level. And here we are approaching mid-June. But I just think at some point it's going to happen. Blake Snell's going to look like Blake Snell again. We're all going to be like, that dude's nasty. And, you know, he's going to probably be racking up quality starts like these other guys have. And now he's doing so with the, with a team that is going to let him push it and then let him pitch consistently into the sixth and the seventh, as long as he's not throwing 43 pitches in the first inning. Um, so hopefully he gets us out of his system and he starts to look like himself again. It's not ideal, 
but I'm of the mind that like it's going to come around eventually, just like it did last year. He's going to be really, really good, and we're not going to be having this conversation anymore. And I think going back to your question, it ultimately, I guess, kind of depends on what's available and who they can go out and get. Um, but I don't necessarily know that it would require a Blake Snell in order to get kind of somebody that can just hold down a right field spot um, and provide something for you on a consistent basis. Yeah. And playing devil's advocate, though, to talking about how you know we know he's going to get back to how he was in August. Um, well, like last year, for example, yeah, he did that for a month, month and a half, maybe to be uh, nice. What was he doing the rest of the year? You know, like you do have to pitch. I think you got to pitch better pitch how he was August and into before the groin injury. You got to pitch like that for the majority of the year instead of not the majority of the year, if you get what I'm saying there. Right. Yeah. No, no question about it. again. I'm not saying like this is totally fine. Yeah, yeah. And it was especially frustrating last year because they needed Blake Snell to be Blake Snell. Mm-hmm. And this year, you know, Joe Musgrove is a Cy Young candidate. Mackenzie Gore is a rookie of the year candidate. Sean Manai is giving them quality starts. You Darvish is you Darvish. Um, you know, Clev and, and Martinez have, have done really good things. And so it doesn't hurt you to the degree it did last year where outside of you and Joe, you're really struggling to get starts deep into innings and the bullpen has fallen apart and guys aren't rested. And then Blake Snell gives you three and a third, you know? Um, so the good thing is like, it's, there's not so much on him. Um, so it's like, I'm not saying all is right in the world and, and he should, you know, earn a, a top tier starting pitcher's salary based on what he's doing right now. I just think they have Blake Snell. We've learned this about Blake Snell. We should probably expect this a slow start. He even talked about it before last season. Like it takes him some time to like, I have just self-belief or just having the commitment to throw strikes and trust the stuff. Um, he's going through it again for whatever reason. Um, to a degree they're, they're it's just, it is what it is. And mm. so um, I, again, I understand everybody's frustration, but what are we going to be saying in August when he's pitched like four straight quality starts? Yeah. Who knows? Yeah. That might not happen. That might, not, I don't know, but nobody would be surprised if that were the case. And last year people were saying, shoot him to the moon. And then August people were saying, this guy's incredible. So who knows that this is just kind of the Blake Snell experience, I guess. Well, it's great timing. I just see an alert pop up for my YouTube channel and a comment from a oh, Snell no. uh, video that I made uh, previously. And it says trade Snell for a peanut or hot dog vendor. So, so <laughs> some guys, some fans are uh, mad, I just, obviously. I, th- I think you would regret that in mid to late September. Uh, yes. Yes. I, I think he still has value, by the way. I still, it's not like he doesn't have value, but. You know, Monday obviously was not something that he's going to want to remember. Um, all right. By the way, this episode, episode 180 of the Talking Friars podcast and YouTube show is brought to you by Gaglione Bros, famous cheesesteaks and garlic fries. Located inside Petco Park, Point Loma, and Mission Gorge. Those are their two locations outside Petco. You can visit gaglionebros.com to view their entire menu, their addresses, the phone numbers, all that good stuff. All right, before we get out of here, I know this is a Padres podcast, um, but I, I it's not like I host a Wave podcast or anything. <laughs> should start and, one. <laughs> and I know that you were there last night. What a 
bad tie. I'll, I'll say that. I mean, the refs, how do you call that goal? It was Jakobsen, I believe, that would have scored. You call that a, a no goal when it obviously cleared the line. Um, but that's not my question. You were there. I went to a game earlier this year against Chicago. The atmosphere has been great. You, I think you were able to talk with Jill Ellis. I think I saw that. What did she say to you about how it's been and you know what they're expecting for the rest of the season? Yeah, I think. Uh, I mean, I think it is worth mentioning that it's. I, I it's. I'm stuck between thinking it was a terrible draw and also an incredible draw because yeah. they can't control yeah. that at all. Right? I yeah. mean, that's out of their hands. They give up the PK in the first half, early goal in the second. And to be beyond the 80th minute down to nothing, you end up getting a point out of it. I mean, that's incredible. And, right. you know, Taylor Korniak has been just a phenomenal um, addition uh, to a talented roster. And, you know, she gets two goals and and saves one. Um, yeah, no VA. I'm, I'm learning a lot about NWSL first first yeah, time. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, learning that, OK, there's no. There's nobody in a booth somewhere to say, hey, let's take another look at that. Um, and that's How does that work? How does that work, by the way? So I was at Petco watching the Padres game, and my cousin was at the game, and they were like, are you kidding me? Can you believe this call? I was like, what call? So I wasn't watching it live, but I saw the video. So what's this VAR thing, and so they don't have replay? Yeah, so that's like the goal line review that you see in okay. high levels of soccer. And, um, you know, there's been a lot of discussion and and people have, you know, it's kind of it seems to be a polarizing thing. But, um, yeah, so it, I was on, I was behind that goal kind of looking at an angle. So Jakobsen was kind of kicking it towards my way. It, it hits the post near, be, near me. And you see uh, Bixby, their, their keeper, dive mm. past the line and push the ball out. And, um, you know, the wave players start to celebrate and then they realize that play is continuing, that there was no whistle, no indication of a goal whatsoever. And they basically just said play on. Um, it's the tricky thing with soccer because like you have your, your ref in the middle of the field, right? You have your official, your line judges and they're third, you know, 30, 25, 30 Mm -hmm. yards away, you know, and they're down the line. So they might have a better angle, but you know, that's, that's still, still having to cover some distance. And so uh, that's why, you know, again, a review of some sort would be helpful in a situation like that. Um, Cause that was clearly obviously a goal. Um, but fortunately they got the point out of it. Um, as far as Jill, um, always enjoy talking to Jill. Um, very excited about what they have going on. And I think they knew that, San Diego loves soccer, right? There's already a vibrant community and, and interests and you see it in different, you know, with, with soccer's and, and their history, the youth programs, the loyal, what they built very, very quickly. Um, I think they knew they had something that they could tap into. And even you, you just see it in like TV ratings for world cup, you know, big matches, that sort of thing. Um, and so I think there's, they're excited just to kind of have the following and the passion behind them. And uh, I asked, like, did you know you had a first place team? And she said, well, I knew I had a really good head coach. And right. so um, that's one thing that continues to come up with Jill Ellis is the faith that she has in Casey Stoney. And and so far, you know, um, I'm not an, enough of an expert to really be able to break down what Casey Stoney has and hasn't done well. Mm-hmm. Uh, but her team's played pretty well to this point, obviously. And they've showed some resilience. And I think what um, 
what jumped out to me last night is the first time watching in person and watching field level is just the how aggressive they play um just a, like a relentless attack and so it was really really entertaining because from the opening minutes they were creating scoring opportunities mm-hmm. and they don't play a passive style where they're just kind of waiting you know for the stars to align um to make something happen they were consistently putting pressure on and you thought it you know resulted in the goal that obviously got wiped away but i was talking to some guys that work for the team even after that they're like it's gonna happen it's only a matter of time you can just tell based on the way they're playing and so you know and it's not just alex morgan it is jacobson um it's casey trombley it's you know naomi germa on the backside uh taylor corniak there's a lot of players that just make things happen that are constantly pushing ahead and uh, makes for for an entertaining brand of soccer and so i think they also understand it's a long season they're about a maybe a third of the way through um they're gonna have a bit more of a target on their backs and so i think they realize there's some attrition involved and and so hopefully um they can weather that but a lot to be excited about and and a, a fun a fun uh, a fun product so far yeah i love watching uh westfall and uh turnbow as well now with the snapdragon stadium uh, which is they're going to be playing in in september i know this is kind of not a question that you'll probably like totally be able to answer because we haven't seen it yet but like how many fans do you expect to like show up there because i know he's been selling out a lot of the games at terrero stadium because it's like five thousand people but what about when there's much more seats available i said uh I said uh, Casey Trombley. I work with Casey Trombley. I meant Kelsey Turnbow. Excuse me. Okay. I, okay. <laughs> Kelsey Turnbow with uh, a co-worker. I was like, that didn't sound right when it came out. Yes, uh, Kelsey Turnbow, um, another very exciting young player who's who's like tough too. You know, yeah. um, that was a fun thing watching Morgan too in person like that. Is like she's obviously super skilled, but like tough and physical. Anyways, yes, Kelsey Turnbow. Um, that it's a hundred days today until their Snapdragon debut. They put up a hype hype video. What a video today. that was! Holy right, cow. yeah, the drone shots and stuff, and all the stuff in the big screen, and um, so very excited about September seventeenth. Yeah, I think it'll be a little bit bittersweet because the environment has been so good at Torero Stadium, uh, just as it is with the Loyal, and um, so it was a fun, it was fun experiencing that. I think there's going to be a lot of people that want to go out and just experience Snapdragon Stadium, and I so I think uh, the football team, you know, the Legion, the Wave, you know, any event, it's that's going to be part of the draw is just to see see this place and 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 see what it's like um, in person. And um, I've I went to uh, I went to a Seattle Sounders match and they play at the Seahawks Stadium and it wasn't you know they weren't playing the Timbers or anything and so uh, you didn't have the same type of crowd and they had the upper sections kind of you know bannered off you know mm-hmm. big old Sounders logo but it was still a good vibe and it was still a fun atmosphere and there's still noise and spirited and people were into it and that was obviously the NFL size stadium much larger stadium and so I think. Um, you know, early on, the good thing is too, I mean, it's going to be going towards the postseason. If they keep playing the way yeah. they are, they're going to have an opportunity to have, you know, at least one, maybe a couple few um, postseason matches. And so that's going to help with attendance as well. Um, but I think, you know, 35,000 isn't 
enormous. And yeah. when you're used to getting seven, eight, um, have an opportunity to track some more, I think it's going to be a good environment. And um, they're obviously super excited about kind of their future there. Yeah. All right. This has been fun. Episode 180 of the Talking Fires podcast and YouTube show. For Darnay Trip. thank you so much for joining the show, by the way. Ben Fadden, thank you, everyone, for tuning in. I'll be back tomorrow for the pregame show. Uh, enjoy your day, everyone. See ya.